Ladies and gentlemen, we should ask a lot, why are our professors so drawn to the preposterous and the lightweight, such as six-trait writing? Well, my main answer is they wouldn't see the point of a better pedagogical approach because it might produce the excellence traditionally expected in the public schools, but no longer valued. Now we have an excess of jargon and a strange lack of seriousness. It's almost as if the professors had a toga party and everyone got drunk and sponsored the worst ideas they can think of and the next thing you know it's the federal agenda. Everywhere you go in K-12, you see posters for six traits. Doesn't that sound like it's close to nothing as you could get? And you hear parents discussing whether their kids can handle this beast called six traits. And it's just a strangely universal thing that seems to be made out of spider thread. It's everywhere, but it's nothing. Now here's a sixth description, I'm sorry, a quick description of six-trait writing. According to ISS Literacy, open quote, the traits provide a language for describing the qualities that most readers and writers think are important in good writing. La-di-da. End of quote. Here are the traits Ideas, organization, voice, word choice, sentence fluency, conventions. I mean, doesn't it sound like the dullest jargon in the world already? First of all, there are exotic, these things that I've just read off are exotic professional concerns but we are talking about subliterate children. And a dirty little secret is if you're talking about American school children, you're often talking about people who are quite illiterate and have no business trying to learn to write English for others to read if they can't read it themselves. Think about that. You can see there's a comedy routine here. In effect, I think the six-trait writing provides a cover-up so nobody will talk about illiteracy because they'll be trying to talk around it. The next objection is that each of these considerations is quite sophisticated. Word choice and sentence fluency, for example. I mean genuinely so. You can be writing for 40 years, as in my case, and I'm still working every day to improve on such things as this. You don't master these things one afternoon so you can check off a list. That's what is essentially wrong with six traits writing. It's too big and gaseous, with no focus, no precision. As an aside, here's an example of a checklist that is much more down-to-earth and practical. No misspelled words. Check that, good. That's a good start. No sentence fragments. Did you check that? Good. 
Now you're on your way with just two traits and you're pumping on all cylinders. And it's interesting, conventions is the last of the six traits, but it has the most content. Things like spelling and grammar are buried under the word conventions. And they are tucked at the end so nobody will notice. Okay, now with all this set up, let's look at the Midwest where public education is going to hell. A teacher left a long comment on Quora. Here it is from start to end. Open quote. Here where I live and taught in Indiana, it goes much further. Writing samples are scored based on six-trait writing. Only one of those traits is grammar. Somebody figured out some time ago that it's easier to raise scores by emphasizing the other five traits like staying on topic, having a beginning and middle, and mixing in some higher vocabulary words. In other words, you might be doing this the right, so you get the best grade, but meanwhile, your sentences are ungrammatical. You see, oh, we don't score that. My fourth grade students, this is, this is the teacher speaking now, my fourth grade teacher, my fourth grade students were seriously upset when I showed them a state distributed sample of an answer worthy of all six points. It was a page long with no paragraphs, I assume that means all one paragraph, and contained other spelling and grammar errors. This is the thing being cited by the state as a good example to follow. Grammar errors, spelling errors, are not bothering the people on the dark side. As the saying goes, what gets measured gets done. And it is a travesty for education if we, in here in the Midwest, if we ever want to go back to teaching grammatically correct writing, we now have an entire generation of teachers who grew up under the current system. They will not be able to teach what they have never been taught. Close quote. Now that's really beautifully put and uh, terrifying. You needed to have a connoisseur who's in a classroom for years to see exactly how it's working. You need connoisseurs to appreciate the exquisiteness of this nonsense. On the other hand, sometimes it just sneaks in and leaps out at you. And you think, twaddle. Another point favoring six-trait writing is that parents will think the schools are actually doing something. When millions of children are not learning to read, a major concern is to cordon off that sad spectacle. The teacher can talk about something, anything, and if the parents ask questions, teachers can start talking about sentence fluency and word choice. Nothing like a good shot of jargon to shut up parents. For me, the critical moment in every student's education is when they learn to read, 
and things can go nicely after that, or when they don't read, learn to read, and their life will surely be hell after that. I'm trying to figure out how we wake up the public to caring about these kids who are never going to learn to read. Okay, thank you. Overview. Let's Fix Education explores seven of my favorite themes. First, this podcast is a meditation on what I call the K-12 crime scene. So many destructive ideas. Understanding them is the key to fixing them. Two, by doing that we will have better schools at less cost. Three, nothing much changes decade to decade. The big questions of the 1930s were the big questions of the 1960s and the 1990s. Any subject we discuss can easily intersect with any other subject. Most people instinctively want traditional education. But the education establishment fills classrooms with progressive gimmicks. The result is that we have a standoff, and that's why you run into the same ideas over and over. Four, the big brains in education keep telling students, don't bother memorizing this or that. You can look it up later. B.B. King, comma, the great guitarist, is much smarter, he said. The beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. Five, Lenin's ghost wanders through our school system. The hard left thinks big. If they have to kill millions of people to build their perfect society, that's okay. Same goes for dumbing down millions of students. Totalitarians want power. They will do anything to get it. Six, if we are going to survive, we have to take each child to his or her limit. As it is, we are creating millions of subeducated students from K right through college. Seven, analyzing education, especially dysfunctional education, is a lot more intellectually interesting than most people suppose. You'll enjoy this. Finally, P.S. My book, Saving K-12, runs parallel to everything discussed on this podcast. I also have an education site improve-education.org with 70 articles that complement everything discussed here. And I have hundreds of articles on the internet. Enter a topic in Google with my full name, Bruce Dietrich Price, and let Google make suggestions. Thank you for visiting.